Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. God and Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning, that we can come on such a beautiful day, Lord. On on days like this, we are so reminded uh, of your creation and your glory, Lord. It's on display before our eyes, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that we're able to also in the stormy overcast days also say this also is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. So I thank you for this time today. I ask your blessing on this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be and have been already preparing our hearts to hear what it is that you have for us through your word and the study of the epistle of Jude. Lord, thank you. As Dan said, it's been amazing. So Lord, we look forward to how you will wrap it up for us today. Lord, again, let our hearts be the soil that's ready to receive your word today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. There once was this mature couple Chuck and Sue, who discovered as they were getting older that they were beginning to have memory issues, forgetting things. So they both decided to go and see the doctor. And when they went to the doctor, they did a bunch of tests. And the doctor came back and said, look, you know, you're getting a little older. This is natural. for, But maybe what will help is um, write things down. If you write some things down, it will help you to remember the, th- the things that you need to remember, especially the important things. So they were like, okay. And, and, and secretly, each one thought that that was for the other one. That, the, that was, Chuck thought it was for Sue, and Sue thought it was for Chuck. And so they went home. Um, and that night, they were watching television, and uh, Chuck stood up and he says, you know what, I'm going to get some ice cream. Do you want some ice cream? And Sue said, sure, I'd love some vanilla if you have it. And so he stands up and she goes, maybe you ought to write that down. (laughs) And Chuck says, vanilla ice cream, I got it, no problem. And she says, okay, yeah, but I want strawberries on my vanilla ice cream. Maybe you should write that down. And he said, no, I got it. Vanilla ice cream with strawberries, I got it, no problem. She says, but do you have whipped cream also? Because I would really love some whipped cream. Maybe you ought to write that down. And he's like, I got it. Vanilla ice cream, strawberries with whipped cream. No problem. I don't need to write it down. I got it. So into the kitchen he goes. While he's in the kitchen, she hears pots and pans clattering around. It's like 15 minutes later. And she's thinking, man, this is taking a long time. Well, he comes out 15 minutes later with a tray with eggs and bacon. <laughs> and Sue says, I told you, you should have written it down. Where's my toast? <laughs> Sometimes, as we get older, we forget things. Have you ever walked into a room and then not remembered why you went into that room? And you're like, you walk in very determined, and you're like, the bathroom is the only room that never happens to me in. (laughs) There are clues. But as we get older, we become more susceptible to forget things, even really important things. As a Christian, um, can happen to us also as we get older or more mature in our faith and our walk with the Lord, we can begin to forget sometimes some important truths. 
Jude writes this letter to remind them of some very important truths because as you begin to forget certain things or they become maybe less front of mind, you're susceptible to outside influences that come in, as the word here says, subtly to begin to influence you, maybe without you even realizing it. And so this is where we are in Jude. He writes this letter to warn them, uh, to remind them and to warn them against these influences. And so if you weren't here last week, here's just, we're just I'm just going to do last week's message over again. And, and then, <laughs> no, I'm just going to review a little. So you can, Jude, Jude, the author of this member is Jude. He identifies himself as the brother of James, who, by the way, was also the uh, author of the epistle of James. Um, but not James the Apostle or James the Apostle, because there were two Jameses that were apostles. But James, the writer of the epistle of James, and Jude are brothers, and they also happen to be half-brothers of Jesus Christ. Now, we know this to be true. But to Jude's credit in this letter, he doesn't identify himself as the brother of Jesus or even the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, he says, I'm the brother of James, but I'm the bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know, Jude wasn't an apostle either. He was someone who believed after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. After that happened, Jude became a believer in his brother, Jesus. He became a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. I love that because, well, me too. And you too. I mean, unless... Any of you are the half-brothers of Jesus? Anyone here? Hey, you know, how hard would it be for you to not claim that, actually? You know, if you were the half-brother of Jesus, and you're, like, walking around, and you can't get into your favorite restaurant, and you're like, well, you know, <laughs> when Jesus, my brother, and I came here the last time, you sat us pretty quickly. I mean, he's, you know, it would be hard not to be a name dropper if you're related to, to Jesus. But you know what? Actually, aren't we kind of... Why aren't we joint heirs? Doesn't that make us kind of like related to Jesus in that sense and that we're joint heirs with him? So you know what? Um, I'm always going to stand behind my big brother, Jesus. I, I mean, I don't, I, if that's heretical, I apologize. I don't mean it to be, but you know what I mean. I always want to be where Jesus is. I always want to go where Jesus is going. I always want to stand behind Jesus and let him stand before me. But I would never claim it. I would claim like Jude, I'm a bond servant. I am a servant of the Messiah by choice because everything that he has is better than anything that I have to offer to myself. And that's what Jude recognizes. Now, it seems like in the very beginning of this letter that Jude's first inclination was just to write a letter to his fellow believers to kind of share in the joy of their common salvation. He says that, you know, initially I wanted to write about our common salvation and what I think that he was just like, I'm just so enjoying my hope of heaven and this relationship that I have with the Messiah that I just want to share it with other people who share that same common hope of heaven, that same salvation that we have in common. I think he just wanted to share in that joy together. Do you remember, like, before you were saved... You would see a group of Christians together and you would think, why are they so happy? What's the matter with them? As if like being happy and joy-filled was strange or abnormal. But, you know, when you get a bunch of people together who are excited about something, 
They're happy, aren't they? Really, think about it. Think about any, any time that a group of people are together, like going together, they're going to watch a football game. And you're walking in and you're going, yeah, and you're high-fiving people you don't even know and you've got the same clothes on. Like, hey, we've got the, you know, like twinsies. <laughs> and you're excited, you go in, but then your team doesn't win, <laughs> which happened to me all the time. <laughs> and you're like, this is a stupid game, and I don't even know why I watch football. And you walk out of there and you're not happy anymore. And you're kind of, you know, like, Bleh. you know what, the, here's the thing, like, Christians are never going to depart from heaven unhappy or disappointed. Heaven's going to be amazing. And we're like locking arms together and we're, we're skipping around down the, the path that leads to heaven and we're happy the entire time. And the world outside, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And Judah's like, I just, I just want to write this letter so we can share in our common joy of salvation because I'm excited and aren't you excited and are you excited and we're excited. Maybe you've never been to a church like this before, like this. Maybe you've never been to a church where people are actually like excited to come. And happy, and they're walking in like, hey, hey, how's it going? And, you know, I can't get you all to leave at the end. And everyone's like, you know, chit-chatting and hugging each other and praying for another one. And maybe you've never been to a church like that before. It's because there are people here that are like, we have a common hope of heaven, and we're excited about it. And we have, as we just sang, Jesus at the center of our lives. And it's an amazing thing. And you just wanted to write a letter to say, isn't that cool? Isn't this cool that we have this common salvation together? And let's lock arms and let's, you know, be joy-filled. But that's not the letter he got to write. Because he says, but I have to write to you because I've learned that there are those who are subtly creeping in to influence you. He says there are certain men coming in unnoticed. Now, that may mean coming into their churches, but I honestly do believe since he's not identified any church, he's just saying this is to other believers, that he's writing to believers and saying there are certain men coming in unnoticed that are influencing your lives and what you believe. The word there, um, uh, the word they're coming in unnoticed means that they came in stealthily stealthily. But there's more to that. Actually, if you look into the usage of that word, it means they came in stealthily, undetected, unnoticed from close beside them. That's that's the whole word. So they were coming in and they weren't unknown to these folks that, that Jude was writing to. They came in from close beside them. These were people that they knew. In some way, maybe at some point they were a part of the church that they went to or the fellowship group, or maybe they were just friends from their lives. But whatever it was, these people who were close in were coming in and they were going to influence them or try to influence them based on this new truth that they thought that they had a hold of. And this word doesn't mean that they were coming in, that these people that were coming in were misguided by mistake, but their intent was to influence them toward their teaching and away from what the truth was. That, by the way, Jude will say, you once knew this. They once knew. And and in the course of time had begun to maybe forget a little bit of what they had been told, and then were becoming influenced away from what they knew to be the truth. 
Jude considers this so important that he actually dedicates his entire letter to warning his fellow believers of the false teachers and what they uh, were to do. Why are false teachers and false teachings so dangerous? (laughs) Someone looked ahead. It's because in this case in Jude and in today's time now especially, they're subtle. It's subtle. It usually includes some truth, which it can make it hard to know that it's false. It's, you might say, well, that, that sounds like something I've heard in church before. Wasn't that in the Bible someplace? Clean, godliness is next to cleanliness. I don't, I don't even know it. Does that not end? <laughs> if you are not familiar with God's word, you can be bamboozled. Bamboozled. You need to know the difference between Bible and babble. It can be subtle. A little bit of truth and a little bit of false is false, but sounds true. Here's another reason. False teachings can appeal to what we really want to be true, even though the Bible says it's not. And someone comes to you and says, Paul didn't really mean that. And that's really not even relevant for our time. And you're like, I knew it. I knew it. You know what? Satan said to Eve in the garden, did God really say that if you ate this fruit, you would die? Something in Eve didn't want that to be true. And so she was able to be easily accepting of a lie. Well, it's just a small little thing. It's really not that harmful right anyway. I mean, it's just a little white lie, a little white lie. That's what we call it. It's a lie, but because we want to not be a pro- we don't want a little white lie to be bad, so we call it like a little white lie, as if the like white kind of like scrubs it up good. And now it's not a lie; it's just a white one. You see, gang, even small incremental change can have a devastating outcome. Think about this. Have you ever driven on Alligator Alley? It's like the straightest, most boring road ever in the world. You just go straight, straight, the whole way, straight. And sometimes you go like this, and then you come back down again, but straight, the whole way. Alligator Alley is like, if you weren't from Florida and someone was like, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take Alligator Alley. Alligator Alley, no thank you. (laughs) Isn't there like a highway? (laughs) Isn't there 75 or 190 or whatever it is? It's like... What, who named these places? Alligator Alley, Rattlesnake Hammock? <laughs> Is there like a Black Widow Death Boulevard that I'm... <laughs> if you're driving on Alligator Alley and you're going straight, let's say you go off course 1%. That doesn't sound like very much, 1%. One degree, excuse me, one degree off course, right? One degree off straight. But do you know down the road what will happen if you keep going one degree off course? You end up in the ditch on Alligator Alley. You know what's in the ditch on Alligator Alley? Rattlesnakes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. Do you just imagine I'm rattlesnake hammock? Just the rattlesnake sitting there and those like, just like, ah, their feet up. Sorry. If you're new here, it's just how it goes. I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> a tiny incremental change like that can have a devastating outcome. Even just 1%, 1 degree of change. And so even just a little bit of false introduced into truth can have a devastating outcome the further down you go. If I'm trying to shoot straight and I go off a little bit down where the target is, I'm going to be shooting over there instead of right there. It's dangerous. And so Jude dedicates this entire letter to pointing out the fact that there are those who are sneaking into your life or trying to influence you, and it's not by mistake. They're doing it so they can influence you to them. And he calls them to contend for the faith. Remember, we talked about this last week. The idea of contend isn't just fight, but fight with skill and commitment. And the idea of the boxer, they train, they spar, they're encouraged in their corners. And we need to do all of those things if we are going to contend for the faith. He gave them three examples of people <clears throat> throughout their own history that they would know who had rejected the authority of God, rebelled, and exalted themselves into the position of authority, and it went bad for all of them. The Egyptians, he says, and the angels who left their domain, the ones, their original, the original plan that God had for them, they left, and Sodom and Gomorrah. He, all of these three examples he gives to them. And then in verse 8, he says, like these, like also, likewise also these dreamers, and you know, it's a very kind English word that, that Jude uses, these dreamers, just like, oh, these starry-eyed, you know, they're kind of out of it, they're not, they're like, they're, no, the word these dreamers here, it is a word that says someone who has a desire that's opposing to the word of God, that they expect God to bless anyway. It's like, you know what, I know this doesn't line up with what the word says, but God loves me so much, it's just going to be okay with him. And he'll bless me anyway. We see that all the time. All the time. But then it says that they defile the flesh and they reject authority. That's not talking about the authority of church leaders. That's talking about the authority, God God in the place of authority. They're saying they are rejecting the authority of God and saying, no, it's not God who's over me. It's me who's over me. And, I'm, it's, and it should be and it will be okay for me to make any decision I want to make. You know what? And God, will, he'll be fine with it. And what you're doing is you're taking God off the throne and you're placing him somewhere down here and like, you're just, you'll, you're good with it, right? God, you're good with this. And you're placing yourself. They're placing themselves in the space, a place of authority. Now, this week as I was um, in my regular uh, devotional time, I came across this verse and it made me think about this. Psalm 112, um, verse 1. Uh, jot that down and look it up later, but I'll read it to you right now. It says, praise the Lord! Exclamation point. That's the first part of the verse. That's a good way to start. Praise the Lord! And then it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Bless, blessed, happy, happy is the man who fears. You understand, not is afraid of. Fears means is in awe of, holds in proper perspective or places God preeminent, recognizes God's authority. Happy is the man who recognizes and 
the authority of God in their life. These false teachers, these subtle influences, have rejected God's authority. That's what, he, that's what Jude says. They've exalted themselves and have placed themselves in a position of authority by saying, God will bless my choices even if they are opposed to his word. And now they're going out and saying, doesn't that sound right? Doesn't, doesn't, God loves you so much that he wants to bless you. Sounds right. Until they say, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Remember the Gnostics were teaching the body is spiritual, or the body is physical, and God is spiritual. So there's a separation. So you can live in your physical body however you want. God doesn't care as long as you're spiritually in line with God. And John, John would say, that, that, that's ridiculous. That sounds good, though, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good? It's like, I could live however I want. I could do whatever I want as long as in my mind and in my you know, heart, I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm in line with God. That actually does sound good, which is why so many people are like, yeah, I want that. I want, I want to be able, and, and you think it's going to be good. You think like, wouldn't that be great if I could live physically however I wanted to, you know, and I could, you know, I could be with anybody I wanted to do and I could literally, you know, drink or smoke or eat whatever I wanted to do and, and, and be and watch and see and listen to whatever I want to do. But as long as I, you know, as long as I'm like, but in my heart, I'm with God. And God says, you think you want that, but that's not good for you either. Think about it. If you're, I mean, who's a parent? Anybody parents? Anyone? Any parents here? You know, your kids think, if I could eat Frosted Flakes for every meal, but I love you, that would be great. And you could say, all right, go ahead, eat Frosted Flakes for every meal, but then your kid gets sick all the time, right? So it's not good for them. And God says, you think that, you know, doing, and be, you know, doing whatever it is you want in your body is, is like a good deal for you. It's not. It's not. In fact, what he says is, is happy is the man who holds God in proper authority, who delights in his commands. It's like, I'm happy to do what God calls me to do. I'm happy to follow the commands that he's calling me to follow because they're good for me. Remember way back in Deuteronomy, he said, the things, the commands that God had given you, they're not a burden. Remember that part? God's commands are not a burden. They're a blessing. Happy is the man who recognizes God's authority in their life. Uh, Matthew 28, 18. I'm going to turn there. This is right after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. After he went to the cross and died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples. And in Matthew 28, 18, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to men. <laughs> me, not me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, the authority of God is my authority. So when we sing, Jesus be the center of my life, Jesus be the center of my church, that's saying, Jesus, we recognize the authority that you have in our church, in my life, in my job, in my family, in my work, in everything that I do, because you are the center, the center, not the add-on, 
not the genie in the bottle. The center, my plan is his plan. Understand? He's not a part of my plan. I am a tiny piece of his plan. It is not about you or me. It's about him and his authority in our life. But these false teachers have come in, it says, and they reject authority. Later on, he's going to say in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain and have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And I'm not going to rehash those, but we looked at those last week. And Cain, in unbelief, disobedience, empty religion that led to jealousy and murderous rage. And Balaam was so greedy for money that he agreed to curse the people of Israel. And when God wouldn't allow him to curse, he came up with another way for the the children of Israel to be led into idolatry and sexual immorality so he still would get paid. And Korah, who was exalting himself before the people, putting himself in a place of authority that was contrary to what God had already decided and was swallowed up by the earth. That happy little note is where we ended last week. (laughs) So verse 12, (laughs) let's begin. (laughs) Don't worry. These are spots in your love feast. You know, (laughs) John is, uh, excuse me, Jude is like the master of biblical illustrations, right? He's just going to pull from all these areas, and he's going to create all these amazing uh, um, examples that they would have understood that we might not exactly understand because the the context is slightly different now, so I'm going to explain some of these. But he says, there's spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Spots in your love feast Sounds like a song from the 60s, doesn't it? (laughs) The word spots, it actually means in Greek, like um, a reef hidden underneath the surface of the water. That's, That's literally what the word means. He says, in and among you, in the time that you come together to love on one another, a love feast was like when we do a potluck. It's pretty much the same thing. Okay? It says that they come in as rocks under the surface or hidden just below the surface of the water. It's extremely dangerous, but really not that easy to spot. And they are in and among you. And in a time when you're vulnerable, in a time when you're loving on one another and you're, and you're saying, oh, how can I help you? How can I help you? What can I do for you? And they're just like, you know what? I'm taking some of that and some of that and some of that and some of that and some of that at the love feast. And they have no intention of helping or serving anyone but themselves. You see this? He's trying to point out to them, this is the direction that they're coming from. The things that they're telling you aren't to help you, but to serve them. They're exalting themselves into a place of power and authority. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Now, okay, to us, we would look out and and we love big, fluffy, white clouds that aren't ominous and dark because ominous dark clouds mean to us rain um, and rain cancels pickleball. And that's why we don't like them. But to them at the time, rain was life. They needed the rain. They were agrarian. Is that right? Agrarian. 
It means they planted stuff, and that's how they, they lived off the land. And so they needed the rain. Rain was life to them. But a cloud with no water promised rain. It promised life, but it didn't deliver. Promised life, but it did not deliver. In fact, clouds without rain, all they did was block out the sun. That's what he's saying. And let's, let's see, do you see the spiritual parallel there? That it is, they were coming in promising life, not delivering it, and blocking out the truth. That's why he calls them clouds without water. He says that they were um, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. A late autumn tree means that that was a tree that was supposed to bear fruit. A late autumn tree bears fruit. But um, like, uh, I don't know, the seasons are plant, for planting are, are different here, I think, but I'm from New York. And in New York, fall means apple trees, right? Apple picking, it's a thing you do. You know, where I grew up, you would just go out and pick trees. Now it's like this multi-million dollar, like you have $44 for a basket to just go out and you, you have to pick the apples. And, and my parents bought two apple trees when I was a kid, and I thought, yes, we're going to have free apples forever in our yard, and we could just walk back and pick our own apples. Guess how many apples I've picked off of those two trees? Zero apples. And every fall or late autumn, we thought that there would be fruit on those trees, and they didn't grow apples. I don't know what was wrong. We, clearly, we did something wrong. The soil was bad, or I don't know what the deal was, but that's what he's saying. These are trees that are supposed to produce fruit. They're not producing fruit. In fact, all they're doing is taking from the soil. You see, he, you know, you're going to see the same imagery all the way through with these different examples. Clouds that promise life, promise water, but don't deliver, but block out the sun. Late autumn trees, they don't produce any fruit. In fact, all they do is take from the soil. They don't produce, they don't give, they only take. Then he's going to say, um, raging, the, verse 13, it says, raging waves of the sea. Now, there was no surfing then. It wasn't like they, they were looking for that big swell and be like, gnarly. You know, the sea was great if it was calm because they could fish and they could travel. But a raging sea brought danger and destruction. Danger and destruction. So he says they're like a raging sea. There isn't anything that they offer that's good. They bring destruction and they bring danger. And then he adds to that, foaming up their own shame. <laughs> so not just raging seas that bring damage and destruction and danger, but foaming. Um, have you ever seen foam? Like you go to Starbucks and you get like a, a latte and it's like coffee and, and then like foam. And it's like in a big cup and you go to take a sip and you're like sipping because there's nothing coming out. It's all foam. And then there's like an ounce of coffee in the bottom. A foam, foam has the uh, appearance of substance, but there's nothing there. And he says they're like this. Now, obviously, they didn't have lattes, so he's using the ocean, whatever. But it's the same idea is that they appear to have substance 
But when you come right down to it, there's nothing there and you're fooled. It's the same ideas like this. When you go to the store to buy snacks for the football game later today and you buy a huge bag of potato chips and you're like, oh, this is going to be so good. And then you open it up because it, it feels full and you open it up and what's in there? Half a bag of potato chips because it's been puffed up with air. What a disappointment. They, it, if I was you, this was the example I would use. They're like a, a puffed up bag of potato chips. They promise a full bag, but what they deliver is lacking and empty. <clears throat> his, la- his last example here even. wandering. They're like wandering stars from whom is reserved the, dark, the blackness and darkness forever. In these days especially, because they didn't have like um, instruments to guide by, they would use navigational instruments that they would take readings off of stars to be able to plot their course. But a wandering star, like what he's saying is like maybe like a shooting star, if you got your sextant up and you're up trying to take a, a reading off of a wandering star, a star that doesn't stay still, then whatever reading you take at that moment is going to send you off in the wrong direction. He says, they are, they're puffed up. They promise, but they don't deliver. They block out the truth. They will lead you in the wrong direction. They're, they're, they look like they have substance, but there's nothing there. He's warning them. This is who, these are the influences that are creeping into your life. And he's warning them to be weary of these influences that are coming in. So the next several verses, 14 on, is about what will be done um, about these or what we need to do. So he's, he's gone through all, all of these verses to identify this is who they are. This is what they're like. This is why they're dangerous. Now this is what will happen to them. Now in verse uh, 14, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So um, do you see a theme in there? ungodly things, the ungodly things. This is, this is kind of the summation of this. What, what you're to do, you resist. You are to resist these influences in your life by, by training, by sparring, by being prepared. But this says that God will judge them. You resist and God will judge them. You resist That means make sure that you can recognize uh, a subtle influence that's coming into your life. And you know what? Listen, it's maybe not always a person. Maybe it's your TV or or, um, your streaming accounts. That's probably more applicable now. Maybe it's your streaming accounts. Maybe maybe it is your friends. Maybe it's the, the things that are seeping into your life because as a Christian who's maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time and you're starting to... Forget some of these original things. Be, Jesus be the center of my life. Maybe it's the enemy who's creeping into your life and just subtly starting to try to convince you, well, you know, it's, it's, is that what, really what it says? Does God's word really say 
that you have to be married in order to be in a sexual relationship. Does it really say that? What if we're really committed to each other? What if we really love each other? And God says, that's amazing, but no. (laughs) And then he gives you a hug. I, I, I imagine that's what he does. But he says, no. You can't be influenced by these things. In verse 16, it says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. You see what he's saying right there? He's saying, they are telling you what it is that you want to hear in order to draw you away. And what you want to hear may not be and likely isn't the best thing for you. That's why it's dangerous. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lusts. These are the sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. He says, you know what? You were told that this was going to happen by the apostles. They said there are going to be some who come in that try to sway you away from the truth, and they're going to be subtle. And he's, and Jude says, and it's happening right now to them. And he's saying to us, it's happening right now to us as well. They're here. They're around us. Maybe there's somebody here today. <laughs> no, I'm not accusing anyone here. Obviously, no one in this church is going to subtly sway you away. You know why? Actually, it occurs to me why we don't see that happen very often, if ever, here. Because we go line by line through the Word of God. Line by line through the Word of God. So if, if I'm off, you can come and say, well, you know, you skipped this whole section that talks about this really hard truth. Because I don't do that. You all know there have been some... Very awkward passages that we've had to go through on Family Church Day. <laughs> because we stand on the authority of the Word of God. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Do you know in Greek, That's a very interesting word picture. He says, build upon a foundation that has already been laid. He says, don't forget the foundation on which you are building up your house. It has already been laid for you. It's there already. Just dig down. You know what? Like, um, there are a lot of houses that we've been working on down in the, the, um, Brookside neighborhood. And, uh, the one, one in particular, I was helping kind of like tear out some walls. Shane and I actually were in there tearing out walls and, and uh, um, paneling and all kinds of things. And I began to notice as I was in this house that all of the floors were at different levels. And it occurred to me, these are all add-ons. This was a porch. That was a, you know, a lanai. This might have been a carport. And over time, they just started adding on things. Um, but it wasn't part of the original foundation, right? And he's like, you know, build upon the foundation that was it. Because if the building inspector comes into that person's house, they were like, okay, your 900 square foot house is actually 400 because all of those things you added on illegally. This was the foundation that was laid for you. He says, build upon the foundation that was already laid, keeping yourself in the love of God, keeping yourself in the love of God. You might say, well, 
that's scary. I mean, you, can I, can I like, can, can God like take his, his love from me? And actually God says, no, I don't take my love from you. This is saying you stay in the place of the love of God. Chuck Smith used to say this, stay under the spout where the blessings come out. <laughs> right? If you imagine a big spout like this and the big drips of water are God's blessings, just stay under that spot. Stay in that spot. Um, another, another example I heard that I kind of like was the idea of the prodigal son. The father loved his son when he was there. The son kind of rebelled against him, took his money, and went off and lived a lascivious lifestyle. Uh, but finally, coming back to his senses, came back and said, you know what, I'll come back to my father and I'll just be one, as one of the servants. And he came back and, and when he was afar off, the father who had been watching for him ran to him, which older men didn't do at that time, by the way, hiked up his skirt and went, went running off, <laughs> hugged him up. I mean, that kid must have stunk bad as well, living with the pigs, picked him up and loved and cried on him because the father loved him when he left or was with him. The father loved him when he came back. Do you think the father ever stopped leaving him in between? No, but was the, was the, did the son leave the loving household of his father? He did. Jude says, just stay in the household of your father. Stay in the love of the father. That is the best place to be looking for the mercy of Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have, and, and on some have compassion making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire of hell, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. I happen to believe that Jude here isn't, isn't talking about these subtle false false influencers, but now is talking about those who now you also are going to be sharing where they're talking. And, and the, the, the way I wrote it is some people that you speak to will need to know the truth of heaven. Some people you speak to will actually need to know the truth of hell. Some are going to be influenced by the truth of heaven. Some are going to need to be influenced by the truth of hell. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, up in our church in New York, I was um, preaching on the idea that, um, that God says, if you love the world, if you want to love the world, then you're an enemy of God. He makes it really clear. If you love the world, then you're not, you're not with me. But not just with me, you're an enemy of God. That's what it says. In the, the congregation that day was a man um, who was the father of a son of, uh, of the father of a friend of mine. Later said to his son, like he we would just sit there and just be like, just, you know, he didn't really go to the church. He just kind of listened every once in a while he was in. And he would sit there. When I said that, he went home and he said to his son, I don't want to be God's enemy. And it was that idea of not the God loves you this much. It is the idea of you're God's enemy that shook him out of this complacent, barely listening state that then put him on a road towards accepting Jesus Christ. And so Jude says some people are going to be won by the loving kindness and compassion and grace of Jesus Christ. And other people are going to be like, I don't want to go to hell. And it will get them, hopefully, to the same spot. Verse 24 and 25 it's very interesting. This is called a doxology, and it's fairly well known, but 
Well, look at it like this. Jude has just written this entire letter talking about those who have rejected God's authority, that they've exalted themselves, that they've kind of propped themselves up, that they don't give, they only take, try to draw people to themselves. So he ends this later with a full-on call to the glory of God the Father, the only one and true living God. He ends strong with, look, all of that is important, but this, you know what, I'm going to end with this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the expression of his glory with exceeding joy. He's talking about Jesus. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory uh, with exceedingly great joy. I actually really, really love that verse. Especially the part that says that he presents you faultless before the presence of his holy glory with exceeding great joy. Because there are days that I feel like, man, I know I'm going to heaven, but I think I'm just going to sneak in. I think I'm probably just going to slip in under the gate, like the gate's coming down, and I'm just going to like get in really quick. And then Jesus is going to look over and he's like, all right, fine, you're in, but you stay over there. And we're going to have the wedding feast over here, and I'll make up a doggy bag for you. You can eat it in the kitchen with the servants. Like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you know, smell too much like the world that he's going to be like, all right, all right, fine, you're in, but whatever. Just think you're lucky stars. But what this says is that he's going to see me in line. And he's going to be like, Aaron, oh, man, I'm so good. Let me come here. I want to introduce you to my father. Look at, look at this guy. He's with me. And he's going to look at me. And he's like, Steve, oh, man. And he's like, come on, I want to introduce you to my father. And he goes, Denise, every single one of us. He's going to look with exceeding great joy and he's going to grab you up and he's going to be so happy and he's going to take you over to present you to the, before the presence of his holy glory with exceeding joy, exciting and joyful, every single one. No one's going to be eating in the back corner out of a styrofoam container, the leftovers from the wedding feast. He says, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. <laughs> both now and forever, if you look it up, it means before all time and now and to all the ages to come. That, that, that's talking about to God, our Savior. To God, our Savior, who was before all time that we know of, is now and to all ages to come. That's God. And then he ends with, amen. Or, so be it. Amen. Man, what an amazing letter to inspire, to warn you of the influences that are going to try and sneak in probably from someone or something close to you to try and pull you away with no good intention. Remember, their intention isn't to say, oh, I've got it all figured out. It says that they're there to serve themselves, to draw people to themselves, to exalt themselves and put themselves in power and authority over you, to which there is actually only one person in authority over you, and that is God, the only wise, the one, the only one who is wise. Be the glory and the majesty. And he says, contend 
Fight with commitment and skill. Train. Get in the Word. Read the Word. Pray. Fellowship. That's the corner. Spar with one another. That, that doesn't mean, you know, you know, like fight with one another. It means have those spiritual conversations with one another. Test each other. There are, there are a couple of guys here that I, I'm in a regular conversation with. What do you think about this? Well, I've read this, but what's your source for that? And we just go back and forth and we talk and we sharpen one another. As iron sharpens iron, the word says. I, and I'm going to leave you this one thing. <laughs> yeah, okay, I got it. <laughs> there once was this man who ended up stranded on a desert island for years he was there all by himself one day a passing ship comes by and they see his signal fire so they send a boat over and he runs out to meet them on the beach he's like ah i'm I'm so happy that you're here finally somebody has come but i've been here for so long come come with me and see my my house when i when i gather up my things and so the whole team comes with him and he's like oh this is the house that i built and here's over here i dug a well and i've got you know this orchard that i built over here and and he goes and look at over here look at this building this is the this is my church i built this so that i could come and worship this is my church and they're like, wow, this is really great. And then over there, they see another kind of dilapidated structure. And they go, oh, what's that? And he goes, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> I don't know I say that because he left that church likely because he wasn't getting what he thought he needed from that church. They weren't serving him in the way that he wanted to be served. So many people will leave one church to another because they'll say, well, they're not serving me the way I need to be served. And what this says is, are you serving in that church? It's not about what you're getting from it. You've already got salvation. If God did nothing else for you but to save your soul, that would be enough. But he's provided you with an amazing body of believers who can hold you up and help uh, sharpen each other. And now he says, and serve in that body. Don't be served. And we are in the course of being here served by one another. But he said it's not about which church is going to serve you best. Ultimately, it's about which church is teaching you the word of God and how can you serve. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day and for your word and for this letter. Lord, I thank you. For the truth of your word, Lord, even though sometimes we would like it to be different, Lord, ultimately we know that it wouldn't be good for us anyway. Lord, I pray that each one of us today would remember to keep you at the center of our lives, the center of all that we do, Lord. Remember that you are the one who is the authority, not us, even in our own lives. Lord, you are the authority. And if we do that, we will be happy and blessed, and we will be glad to keep your commandments, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, so much for this beautiful day and for this body who comes together excited to hear from you, Lord, each and every week, to sing praises to you, Lord, to pray to you, Lord, and to serve. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name today. Amen. Amen.